0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Ethicast. I'm your host, Bill Coffin, and with me today is Ethisphere CEO Erica Salmon-Byrne to talk about the upcoming 2024 World's Most Ethical Companies applications process, and most notably, how the ethics quotient questionnaire, the heart of the application process, will reflect the ever-changing world of ethics and compliance itself. Erica, it's wonderful to see you again. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Bill, thank you so much for having me. As always, it is, uh, it's a pleasure to chat with you.
0: So the application period for the 2024 World's Most Ethical Companies is about to get underway. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about some of the big regulatory trends from the last year that are reflected in the new Ethics Quotient questionnaire, um, especially in terms of how they have impacted what we now consider to be business integrity best practices?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the question, Bill. So, as as uh, longtime participants or longtime members of the Ethisphere community know well we review the ethics quotient every year. uh, And we traditionally will change it in between the uh, announcement of the calendar years world's most ethical companies. And then when we actually open the application process for the next calendar year. Some years we change it a little bit, some years we change it a lot. Guess what folks, this is a year we change it a lot. Um, And the reason for that is because there's been a lot that's happening. And so the idea behind the ethics quotient is it is a way that we pull the pragmatic out of the theoretical. And we do that internally with the team of compliance experts that work here at Ethosphere. I was joking with my colleague Leslie Benton uh, this morning that I did the math and we have something like 182 years of compliance experience between the various members of the team in terms of how long we've all been in the space. And and we use that expertise to interpret what the regulators are saying. So obviously, the regulations are generally written um, for any business, right? Anybody who's going to wind up in front of a a regulatory body, the rules need to be written so that those those ideas can be applied to companies of all sizes. We try to pull the pragmatic out of the theoretical and really give you a sense of what does it actually mean to do X, Y, and Z. So one of my favorite examples is, you know, there's a line in the um, evaluation of corporate compliance programs about having compliance expertise on your board. What does it mean to have compliance expertise on your board, right? Does that mean you have somebody on your board who is the chair of an audit committee of another publicly traded company? Does it mean you have somebody on your board who's actually been a chief compliance officer? Does it mean you have somebody on your board who's been a CEO? And so one of the changes you'll see in this year's EQ is we're really getting very granular with those answer options so that we can get a real sense of the ways in which people are trying to um, position compliance expertise on their board. Repeat applicants know that's been a text question. That's now going to be a multiple select. So we've made a lot of those kinds of changes. We've added questions around the um, uh, Uh, clawbacks. So compensation changes. We've gotten much deeper into the questions around incentives. How are you making sure that you're setting uh, employees up for success when it comes to uh, ethical behavior? We have um, uh, continued to edit the questions around manager training, really trying to get at that key question of are managers being trained to be strong ethical leaders? We have uh, edited questions around Performance evaluations for the people who are running the program, uh, the ethics and compliance program. We've added a question around diversity with your board chairs. So you know, uh, repeat applicants know well. We've long been asking questions around the um, uh, the diversity of your directors. So you know, how many? What what is the profile of your independent directors? And the the 2023 WME class um, broke the 30%. Threshold, um, which I'm I'm very was very, very excited to share uh, broadly earlier this year. Now we've added a question about whether or not any of those diverse directors hold the key positions at the board level. So are they a lead right. independent kind of director? Are they a committee chair, right? Or are, are any of those kind of key positions in the hands of somebody uh, who, re, who represents a diverse group uh, for your organization? So you know, those are some of the changes we've made. And then we we fairly substantially edited the questions around conflicts of interest. Um, And that is another area where, you know, we have seen a lot of um, news coverage recently of of different ways in which conflicts are are rearing their ugly head. Um, And so that was an area that we dug into uh, for this year's EQ.
0: Now, can you talk about that a little bit more specifically? Because uh, I know, like you just said, it's been in the news an awful lot. It's a mm-hmm. it's an area of great interest and great importance. And I'd, I'd be very curious to know kind of more specifically how those questions have changed. And I guess what is going to be expected of companies to really prove that they are indeed uh, best of class in this area?
1: Yeah. So the place I'd like to start with that, Bill, is a little bit about why conflicts matter in the first place. Because I think in a lot of the coverage... Um, particularly the coverage of of some of what we've seen from, for example, the Supreme Court, there's been sort of a jump over that why step right? We've gone straight to the the salacious facts of, you know, what's been happening, um, and then both sides get dug in on whether it is or isn't a big deal, and nobody really stops to think, well, why do we require conflicts of interest to be disclosed in the first place? Um, And and at, at heart, the issue with the conflict of interest is who are you acting on behalf of? Are you serving the mission and the people of the organization that you're representing, or are you serving yourself? And that is at the heart of conflicts of interest disclosures, and that is at the heart of this this sort of um, concept of why conflicts matter, right? It's it's a question of trust. It's a question of um, reliability. It's a question of servant leadership, right? Are you serving the people in the organization, or are you serving yourself? The challenge with conflicts is if you don't disclose them you lose a little bit of the benefit of the doubt so hypothetically speaking bill let's say that i decide that on the weekends i am going to uh, volunteer for my local public radio station and hand out flyers if i don't tell my colleagues at episphere that i'm engaged in that activity and it comes out later that i was handing out flyers perhaps on an issue that most of the people at Ethosphere would disagree with, right? Was I representing Ethosphere when I did that? Or was I representing myself, right? And so the idea behind a conflict of interest is, it's not an issue to have a conflict. It's an issue to fail to disclose the conflict, right? Because if you disclose the conflict, there are ways that you can work around the conflict, and everybody involved who cares about it is going to understand. It. If you hide it, if you don't disclose it, if you say, well, there's, I know there's nothing wrong with this, so why should I have to tell anybody? Then you find yourself in trouble down the road, and so you know disclosure is one of those those topics that we have been asking questions about for a while. Our Bella community asks questions of, of us about it all the time, right? It's one of those topics where people are trying to figure out what the right process and protocol is, and so that's part of the reason why we keep editing those questions to try and get more and more information of how companies are doing it today, and how could they potentially be doing it better, so that the broader public has faith. In the organizations and institutions that it needs to trust.
0: So that last part you just said is really interesting because I know you know co- you know conflicts of interest. You know, life is complex, and yes. everybody usually has something that's worth disclosing to somebody somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you've got such a broad you know area of experience here. I'd just be kind of curious to, to ask, you know, when you have seen organizations where conflicts of interest kind of go broadly ignored and and not really made a priority. What kind of harm does that do to the organization? Because it seems to me that it's not just a matter of your calling your own credibility into question. You can undermine the faith in your mission, your vision, your values, the the, the the firmament of your organization. Have you seen that out there?
1: Well, for sure. I mean, I, I think I think anybody who opens the newspaper can see at one point or another um, some story about a situation in which somebody put their own interests ahead of the interests of the organization they were supposed to serve, right? Um you know, it's 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 absolutely um, something that we see on a regular basis. And it's you know, it's it's part of the reason why I'm in this work in the first place, Bill, because conflicts of interest is one of those things where it's nuanced. Right. There are some regulatory compliance areas that are pretty straightforward. Right. And you put the control in place and people understand the control. They follow the control. They do what that needs to be done. Right. It's a relatively straightforward conversation. Conflicts is a little bit more complicated because what you know, what seems like a conflict to me might not be a conflict to somebody in another part of the world. And so really making sure that we're having a conversation at the organizational level about why conflicts matter in the first place, um, why it's so important that people trust that I'm putting the interests of the organization, you know, ahead of my own interests, um, why it matters to to be seen as a fiduciary of the faith that people are putting in you, that's how you get a conversation going about doing the right thing. Um, and, and that's 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 again you know part of what we're really aiming at with the work that we do here at Office. Yeah,
0: I think one of the most disheartening things when you see uh, headlines being made about conflicts of interest or all kinds of corruption in general is that you know a lot more often uh, you know a lot more often than we'd like to admit that news is met with kind of a collective shrug.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so I guess that leads up my question to you, which is, why is it so important that there is something like the world's most ethical companies to celebrate and elevate truly excellent ethical business practice
1: yeah it's i agree with you bill more often than not too often um things like the you know some of the conflict stories we've seen in the news lately it, it's either met with a well what's the big deal or it's met with everybody does it right everybody does it it's this whole sort of well what about ism um and it's part of the reason why I'm so proud of the work that we do around world's most ethical companies because the core of the world's most ethical, ethical companies process is a firm belief on our part that these companies are going to outperform others in the long term. right? We're not asking people to make a binary choice between doing the right thing and doing the right thing for the business. They're the same thing. And the more we can make that case, the more we can help people see that, the more we can get people to understand That these practices actually lead to better organizations in the long run, um, the better. And so, you know, it's the reason we've been doing World's Most Ethical Companies. For now, this will be our 18th year honoring companies um, as part of the World's Most Ethical Companies process. And, you know, it's for, for 18 years, we've really held firm to that idea that these practices are not a cost center, right? These are a business driver. These are a value creator. And the more we can get that word out there, the better.
0: Yeah. Now I understand that this year the applications window opens a little earlier than it has in the past. So can you tell yeah. everybody when does the applications uh, window open, and where can people go to learn more about applying for the 2024 World's Most Ethical Companies?
1: Yes. So Bill, I my one of my goals for a long time has been to move the application process to be closer to a calendar year process, right? So historically speaking, we've opened it in August, we've closed it in November. We've notified people in February and we've announced in March. This year we're opening at the end of July. so this month we're going to open the the, the process at the end of this month. Um, the webcast to find out more about EQ changes or about applying, we've actually bifurcated them into two webcasts. So if you you're a, a regular you know a repeat applicant, um, you can just come and listen to the, the talk about what's changed in this year's EQ. If you're brand new to the process, even if your company's applied before but you've never done it, come to the second webcast too, which is about how to apply and tips and tricks and that sort of thing. Those are gonna be the first and the second of August. So process opens at the end of the month, first and second of August are the big webcasts. We're gonna close at the end of October, which then means we'll be able to notify closer to the beginning of the calendar year, which I'm very, very excited about because that is gonna be a much, a much more natural cycle for us going forward. So um, anybody out there who is curious about the process, who wants to read the FAQs, who wants to look at the documentation guidelines, Go to worldsmostethicalcompanies.com, and you can check out uh, all of the information there. Um, if you're interested in getting yourself ready for the process, you know, Atmosphere has tons of resources available to you, and you can go to atmosphere.com um, to look at our resource library and check some of those resources out. But um, you know, it's we're very, very excited about this year's Ethics quotient. It's um, it's a it's a great revamp of some uh, historical questions to get at some developing practices. And then there's some really good new stuff in there too that we'll be able to share with everybody in terms of the data um, next year
0: very exciting well i can't wait to see what comes out of this year's process it's always fascinating to see uh the companies that are are honored and more importantly uh, the best practices they bring forward kind of advanced business ethics across the board so it's always a very very exciting uh, procedure or something i'm eager to see it underway uh, erica i learn something every time i speak with you so thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today Absolutely. My pleasure,
1: Bill, and take care, everybody.
0: Indeed, indeed. So once again, to learn more about the World's Most Ethical Companies, please visit worldsmostethicalcompanies.com. And if you are thinking of applying, and we sure hope that you will, please be sure to visit ethosphere.com and take advantage of the vast resource library we have there on demand. It's free. It's really terrific. And I think it'll help your your practice and your uh, applications process quite a bit. I'm Bill Coffin, and this has been the Ethicast. For more episodes please visit the Ethisphere YouTube channel at youtube.com slash is And if this is your first time enjoying the show, please make sure to like and subscribe either on YouTube or on any of our podcasting platforms at Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon Music. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, remember, strong ethics is good business.